0: is Justin Chirpity of Sirius XM NBA Radio, and if you're not listening to me and
1: Eddie Johnson
0: on NBA Today, then you've got to be listening to The Bridge with John
1: Lawson. Shut up and sit down. Listening to The
0: Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund.
1: Hello everyone, you're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast bringing you this sports show. Well, the NBA playoffs feel all but over, but let's talk about it anyway. We'll get into that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 70 of The Bridge. Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes under The Bridge Sports Podcast or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text in to the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. Sports mascots serve as the literal face of their respective sports teams and are advised to celebrate the good moments while making the bad ones not seem quite as bad. But sometimes even mascots have a hard time of turning the bad into a positive, especially when they're literally having a bad day. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Read Like Real News.
0: Meet the Mets, meet the Mets, step right up and greet the Mets, bring your kitties, bring your wife, guaranteed to have the time of your life, because the Mets are really sucking the ball, knocking those
1: home runs over the wall, east side, west side, everybody's coming down to meet the Mets. Ah! The New York Mets have been disappointing their fans for the past several decades, though those fans still remain incredibly loyal to their beloved franchise. However, none have been more loyal than Mr. Met, the official mascot for the Metropolitans and member of the Mascot Hall of Fame. Mr. Met was first created as a visual aid on game programs, yearbooks, and scorecards back in 1963, when the Mets were still playing at the Polo Grounds in Manhattan. Cartoon became reality the next season, when the Mets moved to Shea Stadium in 1964, and Mr. Met became the first mascot to exist as a human and the first member of the Mets to be represented as a bobblehead. Though Mr. Met was phased out by the franchise in the 70s, he thankfully returned in the early 90s and has been a staple in the franchise ever since. Unfortunately, the return of Mr. Met did not mean the return of a championship to Flushing Queens. And the optimism that was building for a team that made a World Series appearance in 2015 is seemingly starting to fade. Through it all, however, the big-eyed, smiling baseball head has remained positive. That was until the man behind the mask had had enough. Just one night after the 53rd anniversary of Mr. Mets' debut as the team mascot the Mets lost a 7-1 contest to the Brewers. A video was soon released of Mr. Mets exiting down the tunnel before turning toward a group of fans and flipping the bird. On its face, the gesture was a humorous one and speaks to the current state of this year's season when even the team's mascot is pissed about it. Though on a deeper level, it was discovered that the man playing Mr. Met responded with the middle salute after several taunts by fans, including ones directed at his mother. In a social media world, the three-second video quickly spread throughout the internet and went as far as to warrant a response from the New York Mets team Twitter account, which said, we apologize for the inappropriate actions of this employee. We do not condone this type of behavior. We are dealing with this matter internally. And while many different workers donned the Mr. Metz costume throughout the season, this particular gentleman was reassigned within the organization and would never wear the costume again. But an interesting angle to the half-piece sign was quickly discovered since the Mr. Met costume only has four fingers on its gloves. Can Mr. Met really give the middle finger? Or did he actually give the perfect one, since three fingers would literally give him a finger in the middle? If anything, let this quick F.U. serve as a warning for other mascots throughout the sports world. The next time the Philly fanatic lifts up his jersey could be his last. I'm John Lund for Sports News, red like real news. Everybody come down to meet the
0: N-E-G-S-S-S-S of New York
1: Let's take a quick break to meet the Mets. When we come back, we'll talk to an NBA writer and podcaster about the state of the league and the NBA finals. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text in to The Bridge at 929-BRIDGE7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now, we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text in to The Bridge. This week, we want to know... Who will win the NBA Finals and why? Speaking of those invigorating NBA Finals, the Golden State Warriors haven't lost a basketball game in more than two months and have looked completely unbeatable this postseason en route to a 2-0 lead over the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA Finals. Though they did the exact same thing in last year's finals, two blowouts in the first two home games before, of course, eventually blowing that 3-1 lead that they built, this one feels a little different and honestly, really just doesn't feel very good. Here to talk about that this week is James Hollis. He is a contributor for bballbreakdown.com and is part of the Away Team podcast for Press Basketball and the Truth podcast for Almighty Ballers. James, an NBA fan for decades, a popular voice in the NBA Twitter world, you might actually remember him as a party involved with the famous Meet Me in Temecula saga. We'll talk to him about that story, how he got covering the NBA and his favorite era of hoops, as well as some more topical things currently in the league, like the impact of Kevin Durant leaving the Thunder for Golden State if the Warriors can be beaten, and what this means for the future of the league as well. You can follow James on Twitter. He's at snottydrippin. That's S-N-O-T-T-I-E-D-R-I-P-P-E-N. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with James Hollis. He is the contributor for b dot com. You can hear him on Away Team for Press Basketball and on The Truth for Almighty Ballers. James, thanks for joining the show. How are you? I'm good. Um, I, I, honestly, I was
0: waiting for the finals to start, and I was, you know, excited about it. Now I'm, wait, I'm waiting for the off season to start because I think we all know how this is going to end.
1: It was unfortunate because we've seen this happen in Hollywood far too much where there's a trilogy of sorts and we could probably name on one hand the ones that have been successful. And I was fearful that we might run into that same problem this year, especially with what happened in the off season. It looks like we might be running into say a back to the future three, et cetera, et cetera, whatever movie you want to put on the end.
0: Yeah. um, I I can't think of a trilogy as bad as this one as uh, uncompelling as <sighs> anticlimactic, I'll say that's the, that's the perfect term for it. It's it's we all it, it's almost like they tried to make uh, the sixth inch and they made a part three and the same twist was, uh, you know, Bruce Willis is dead. So we already <laughs> knew it. It's not that exciting. Yeah,
1: I, I don't know. Not that exciting. Well, before we get into that, we can postpone it for at least a little bit while here. I wanted to turn back the clocks a little bit and ask you what made you decide that you wanted to cover the NBA at least on a social media platform and how you started doing so.
0: Uh, you know what? Honestly, um, so let's everyone. Everyone should probably know Talk Hoops, uh, aka Zach Harper. Um, you know now I think he's over at FanRag Sports. Um, and he's also part of the Almighty Baller uh, Radio Network. Uh, But back uh, when ESPN used to do something called Daily Dime Live, um, where it was basically a live chat during the primetime games. And so Zach Harper, I want to say Tim Donahue, I think he's a Dallas guy. A bunch of guys that I I still talk to on social media. They used to run this, you know, for ESPN, they ran Daily Dime Live, and I I used to come on and just talk those same guys. They got me on Twitter and all these other writers know fun and you know, they talk basketball. So I started my own site. Um it was called uh up of mark Albert's famous call, you know, yes, the nail in the coffin. It was yes, nail in the coffin dot com or something. And um it was it was it was trash. It was bad. But you know, I guess people Twitter was kind of in its infancy too. This was back in probably two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Um, and so, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't in the social media scene, but, uh, people, a couple people read it. And then I got an invite to write for a Clipper site. Um, that didn't go very well. Cause that worked well with deadlines and assignments. Uh, I'm not a regular writer. Uh, then, uh, I, I call him a hoops critic, uh, Brian, uh, Brian Geltzer. Hold say, I hope I said the right name, but, uh, at hoopscritic.com, he's, uh, at hoopscredit, uh, on Twitter. And he's a, he's a real good guy here on the site. And then uh, from there, I went to uh, B-Wall Breakdown, and I've been there for a couple of years now.
1: Was there a time where you might have thought to yourself that you weren't very good at what you were doing? Or was there a time where you knew, I'm very good at this, people are taking notice, let me keep continuing to get better and see what I could do with this as well?
0: Never think I'm good. I still don't think I'm good. I know that um, I put together a complete sentence, I can put together a paragraph. But it's funny. Every time I write something, I I publish it, and I you know I don't hear anything for about like the first twenty minutes, thirty minutes, people reading it, and then people start sharing it. But for that first twenty minutes, I always thinking to myself, oh, it's probably no good. Why did I do this? So um, that's me. I'm very insecure about my writing, but um, you know, uh, so yeah, I always feel that way. But it's cool that I got you know there are people who do read my stuff, and I got you know a small following, people who kind of hopefully I bring my own unique. Twist on basketball views, and some people agree with me, and some people say I'm an idiot. So,
1: if I remember reading correctly, are you or were you in the Navy? And that's one of the reasons why you're almost a world traveler. You've been to quite a few places as well, right?
0: Uh, Yeah, man. I've been to probably over 25 countries. I lived in England, I lived in Japan, Um, you know, I lived in Virginia for a while. I visited Spain, I've been to Australia, I've been to Portugal, I've been to Romania, I've been to Turkey. You know, so, yeah, I've been to a lot of different countries, and, you know, I was I was in the Navy for a long time, um, got out in 2010, and so, yeah, that, that was probably one of the best decisions of my life. The military, is a, it's tough, it's unique, it's not for everybody, but I got to see a lot of the world, you know, I, I, I got experiences that a lot of people never in their, in their life get to experience, so that was pretty cool.
1: Well, thank you for your service for starters. And the follow-up question, as a hoops fan, I have to ask: Was there any five-on-five or one-on-ones going on with you guys if you had some downtime at any point?
0: Oh yeah, man! I, I used to play um, up until I've I got to get back into it. I'm not I'm not an old man, but yeah, I used to play ball all the time. I actually uh, made the first cut for the All Navy team. Um, I mean, I played pickup. I played you know every base had you know like a loose league, and it was kind of fun. You know, intramurals kind of. So we always played ball. When I was in England we used to go travel. We actually played for like a, you know, the base team. We traveled and played other, uh, like played British people. All you know in the in the in the southern uh, England kind of area. So yeah, man, I I've always play. I always played ball. Always watch ball. So it's 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 gonna you know since I was a little kid, it's been my passion.
1: What would you say your NBA comparison would be to what you bring to the table on, say, an intramural basketball court, if you had to put a face to the name for the listeners?
0: Maybe a Rodney Rogers slash Jamal, uh type, because I was always I a real big, kind of solid guy. But when I was younger, I was a little smaller, so I played like two guard. And then, uh, you know, I got a little size to me, and I played all the way to power forward. So... I was never as big as Anthony Mason or Jamal Mashburn, but, you know, I could step out, had a little handle, go to the hole, nice little mid-range jump shot, um, nice touch around the basket. It's funny, a couple years ago at the All-Star Game, 2012, we had a, I mean, hey, uh, Henry Abbott, Zach Harper, the starters were there. We all played pickup. And, um, yeah, I I pretty much dominated the game. You can find (laughs) Hey, I'll find the footage for you, and I'll send it to you. They keep on the tape of it.
1: Well, I'm going to have to take a look around at who you're playing against, have those guys on my show, and pretend that I have no idea that you dominated on the court and see what they say about it, right?
0: I mean, hey, the footage is there. Uh, talk to my man, uh, and you know him, the um, no-look He I think he does the footage somewhere. He, he, you know, They all remember. They remember me tearing him up.
1: You cut your teeth, if you will, on 90s hoops. I'm sure you can reminisce and remember some of the greats, some of the above average players, some of those teams, what is the best part of that era to you as a whole and what do you maybe miss the most from watching that era of basketball?
0: Um I think because I remember it from my, you know, my preteens, teenage years, I remember just uh, just the amazement. These guys are like larger in life. And like what and this is the thing about basketball makes it so special. Like you watch football, you know, these giant Hulking guys but then, you know, the, the, the camera is, what, 30 yards away, and they're wearing the helmets, and, you know, you got to keep an eye on what's happening on the field. And they they go for 10 seconds, and then they set up for, for 30 seconds and go for four seconds. Um, you know, baseball. Baseball time you're way far back, and they are all the guys in the dugout. And, you know, it's like watching them with a the video game. With basketball, you're up close and personal. These guys are personalities. Um, I remember Michael Jordan in his prime, and just he was a rock star. As big as LeBron is, and I, I, I was a Michael Jordan truther, I can say now that LeBron James is awfully close to Mike as far as a talent, basketball talent. He'll never touch Mike in his, his aura and his presence. Michael Jordan was, uh, I think, all of the players, you know, they had a, this immense respect for him. You know, it was like, it was weird for a player to speak and say like, "Oh, I'm not scared of Mike, He's another guy." That wasn't normal. And then Michael him for 40 or 50. Um, it was just, it was, it was, He was something else, man. Like the the great story about Mike was how him and Scotty were, um, were playing the Wizards, or at the time the Bullets. Chris Webber, Juwan Howard, and you know the Wizards come into the locker room and or come into they're in Chicago to go play, and as they're going to the locker room, there's Mike and Scotty sitting on top of like a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, smoking cigars, just like looking at them, and that kind of intimidation doesn't happen anymore. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. So uh, I just yeah, I've been personalities. I remember when it was Clyde versus his Aaronist, him and Clyde Drexler, and Mike just you know Mike destroyed him. I remember the Suns and the Bulls, and you know Mike just showed out against the Suns. He is just, just his coolness factor is something that LeBron will never touch.
1: Did you pick up your Celtics fandom during the Larry Bird, maybe the tail end of his career? Was that what got you into the Celtics, or did it take you a little while I, to get them?
0: I was a turncoat, man. Um, I cut my teeth really when I got into the sport. It was Michael Jordan and the Bulls, and it's funny because Scotty Pippen was my my favorite player. Mike was the man. if I knew Mike was the man, but I couldn't keep my eyes off Scotty. He was his versatility, like the smooth way he kind of played. The Vicious dunk. Even though it's funny because he was a smooth athlete, but he was also kind of like a straight line raw athlete. And um, Scotty got it done, man. So that was my guy. And um, I, I'll admit it. You know, I was younger. Once the Bulls went belly up and they they broke the team, disbanded it. I, I wasn't watching that trash. And I kind of just caught on with Antoine Walker and Paul Pierce. I remember Ron Mercer uh Tony Tony Dimo You know, Tino tried to coach for a while with Boston. And just the way they played, it was kind of a frenetic kind of style. I call them with them then. So, you know, late late nineties, early two thousands I started watching uh watching Celtics.
1: We share a little bit of a similar path in that I remember doing the same thing probably around seven or eight when MJ retired for the second time. And I took all the Bulls posters down from my wall and threw them out in the hallway and took my Jordan jersey and threw it. And as I got a little bit older, I realized that I wasn't necessarily a Bulls fan. I was a Michael Jordan fan. But instead of going to the Celtics like you, I went to the Lakers. So that's where we really split down the middle. But I go the same way. Instead of going after Kobe, I actually went with them because of Shaq, because I was a little bit of a taller guy, and I really liked the way that he played. So a lot of people think that I went because of Kobe Bryant, but that was not the case, though I do have a soft spot in my heart for him. But don't get angry at me yet, because we're going to get there soon. I wanted to catch up the listeners on some things as well. And for one, the inspiration for what's now your Twitter handle once again of Snotty Drippin', where they can find you at Snotty Drippin'.
0: Right. And, you know, again, I said, like, my my guy back in the day was Scotty. Scotty, to me, was, um, once Mike retired that first time and Scotty ran his own team. Looking back now, he only, I think he averaged 22, 22, points a game, but he, I think he finished, like, you know, second or third in the MVP voting that season. And they only, you know, they weren't 55, but they were in 57, like, the year before, whatever it was. So, um I, it's funny, like, right? I said, again, on Daily Dime Live with uh, Zach Harp and those guys, and, and basically where NBA Twitter started. Um I just wanted something catchy as a as a screen name. And I just, you know, hey, uh Scottie Pippen was my guy and Snotty Griffin is, you know, is wonderfully disgusting and sound like Scotty Pippen. So I went with that. And that's been uh that's been my social media handle since then, since you know, two thousand eight, two thousand nine.
1: So if you were hanging out, covering a game, perhaps, and maybe Scotty was doing some sideline work or broadcasting work, and maybe he knew you from that Twitter handle, would that be like a top three moment?
0: <laughs> it would be cool, but uh, he wouldn't recognize me. But, um, like, for the All-Star game, man, I got to meet um, – I met Corey Blount, you know. Uh, Jalen Rose was there. This is 2012 when we had it in L.A. Um, a lot of – I think uh, Walter McCarty was there. Uh, Craig, you know what's crazy? Uh, Craig Hodges was there. That was amazing to me. Uh, uh, I think uh, Bonzi Wells showed up. I think, was it Juwan they're playing? Because they're just playing like a, you know, some pickup some old-school guys pick-up to down 12. And it, was, it was amazing. So, um, yeah, if I met Scotty, I, I, I wouldn't be starstruck because, you know, I, I'm older now. But it would be really cool just to meet Scotty. And, and uh, I wouldn't tell him. I'd be embarrassed to tell him, oh, uh, on Twitter, I'm snotty Griffin for you. But i just tell him, hey, man, I respect your game. and hold love what you did. Um, you know, people, you know, hey, I don't know. i probably say something silly, but I wouldn't be too stark, Joe.
1: So for people that may need to be filled in on why we had the quick joke about Kobe Bryant, some may know of you or are reminded of you around the holiday season for one of the days, probably one of the best days really of NBA social media history on Christmas day in 2014. Could you set the scene of what ended up happening to you on that day?
0: Um, nothing happened to me. I was in, I was in uh, Arizona with my mom. Well, I wanted um, to hear what
1: the dinner was like because you were tweeting about how much you were enjoying spending time with your mother.
0: So it was uh, we were all, I mean, you know, NBA Twitter is one of those things where and all the Christmas games are on. We're all watching games. Uh, this is 2000. What was this? 2000? 2000,
1: 2014, I believe.
0: It has been three years already. Wow. So Kobe had already been injured and was coming back. I think he this was so this must have been the second time he came back. I don't know, whatever. So Kobe wasn't playing well that season. His you know we, his time was running short. We knew, and he, I think that this conversation was about how you know Kobe just he, I mean he was he was not an elite player anymore. You know, and there was one loud mouth on the timeline just saying. How stupid can you be? If he's averaging twenty and, and six, how is that not elite? And you know, this is Kobe shooting 38 percent from the floor. He he wasn't a good player anymore. You know what I mean? And if the Lakers weren't good. He wasn't good. So I said something derisively about you know, you know, basically making fun of the guy. I'm like, if you think that twenty two make points make you elite, this is Kobe Bryant we're talking about. He, he's not a great player anymore right now. You can say what he wanted before he was great. He's great right now, and um, that was just being a real. Real moron. He was real, just he didn't have that, and you know, cursing and this, that, and it was just weird. But it didn't matter. Social media. So this guy just off his, he's off his rocker. Then you know, oh, if I ain't real, in my Twitter profile it says I'm in San Diego, meet me in Temecula, and I, I'm in Arizona with my mom. I don't know, hours away from California, but okay, sure, sure, loser, let's go. You know, and then right behind that, I just tweet out to my timeline like, "I hope, I wonder if he's really going because I'm in Arizona." So it turned into a whole thing. I guess he drove to Arizona. He drove to to from wherever he was, and taking pictures of the drive. And he's at the the Gold's gym. I guess it's, he really wanted to fight. And you know, I'm like, you know, it's Christmas Day, and you're you're the idiot who just drove an hour to go fight a stranger off the internet, man. What's what's what kind of fool are you? And so yeah, that's where the whole Temecula thing sparked.
1: How did the next couple of days go for you as far as the publicity on social media? And then even again, a couple years later when you ended up getting featured on ESPN to tell the tale once more.
0: Yeah, it was pretty wild, man. I was on SB Nation. Um, I had a phone, Huff Post call me for an interview because the, uh, this dude was like 40 and he made like a, a rap disc towards Snotty Dripping. It was, it was really, it, it's funny because it was embarrassing because how lame it was, right? It turned out to be like a whole lame thing because, I mean, it's funny and it's, it's weird because at the other end of the spectrum, there's a bunch of snot nose punks like, oh, you punked out. No, it's, what? I wouldn't say it was fun, but it wasn't like a nightmare or anything. It was just, it, was, it got kind of annoying, you know? And I think I gained like 5,000 Twitter followers. I went from like, you know, you know at the time it was like 10 10,000 followers, which was a big deal kind of at the time, you know, to social media. And all of a sudden, 5,000 new people were following me. And a lot of people were really cool and, and all this hilarious. And a lot of people, like, I, I got death threats and, you know, people saying, "Do this my mom and all. It was weird, man. It was weird.
1: Do you still hate Kobe Bryant as much now, now that he's retired for the past couple of years?
0: See, that's the thing. It's not even my hating Kobe. It, it got to the point I, I hated the mythology of Kobe. Because even back then, I said, Kobe's great. He's a top Maybe top, I said, he's in my top 12 to 15. Oh, he got to be in your top 10 you're an idiot. He's top 12 and it's whatever. I didn't care about that. But then we're talking about, uh, you know, LeBron having a great game. Well, Kobe did this, you know, Kobe's the, the killer instinct. He got to the point where it's not even Kobe. I hate it. It's it's the, I, I don't know. It, it, there's a weird social, like, cultish online thing about Kobe. You know, they, they, they act like Shaq didn't matter. Uh they they, they make pals off the sauce like a bum. And it's just weird to the point where and I would needle them. I would needle them and kinda of, oh Kobe never did that. What if Kate no Katie just did what? Oh, Kobe never did that. And they would it, it was like it was it was like clockwork. They they were predictable about how they reacted to it. So I never hated Kobe. I, I don't I just auto rate to hide a lot of people. But then I look at a lot of people, smart people that we both follow and writers, they haven't about the same. Kobe is in the eight to ten to twelve kind of range. So I'm not crazy about it, but I just don't I – don't, I never really idolized Kobe, I guess, the way a lot of young people do.
1: It's calmed down a little, but I'm sure we're still probably 10 to 15 years away before the Kobe people stop coming after you for different events or if he ever comes up in a conversation.
0: Well, Eventually. They don't mess with me anymore too much, but I mean, I, I see things like, honestly, and this is a lot of people, smart people saying this, the only player that LeBron has to catch now, as far as, you know, we're talking about the greatest, is, you know, they mentioned his name with Michael Jordan. LeBron James and Michael Jordan. know the close, they the comparisons. And people will try to pipe up and say, well, Kobe, he has to pass Kobe first. And, you know, people laugh because LeBron passed Kobe back in 2007, as far as a player. And now with his legacy, I think he's right there with him. If he's already passed him. Sure, Kobe has more rings, but uh, there's more than just rings to it. So, um, yeah, there's always going to be those chirpers. People like to chirp. But um, yeah, it, it is what it is.
1: Is there anything you think LeBron can do for the remainder of his career where we might end up switching that conversation that he is greater than Michael Jordan? I know you mentioned it's close and people can argue back and forth now, especially coming into these playoffs where he's now the highest scoring playoff player in NBA history, but people mention the rings, et cetera, et cetera. The arguments can go on for hours and days, but is there anything that you think would have him surpass MJ, or is it just a losing battle where he'll always just be a little bit less?
0: So and here's the tough part, man. It's like now we're in the age of Golden State. I said before this final started, if LeBron could pull this off and defeat this Golden State team, you got to put them in the conversation at the greatest all time. We are, I think we see now, you know, uh, the Cavs are down 2-0. That's not going to happen. Uh, the, I think the Warriors are just are just too deep, too long, too fast, which sounds really dirty the way I say it that way. But uh, I just think over the next few years, I think Brown probably has another good, I don't know, 2-3, really, really high-level year, and then slow the climber. at the power 4 Let's say he wins another ring or two, and he still plays at such a high level. It sucks that they're going to count it against him that he's losing to this historically great Warriors team, um, and that actually might maybe that's a hurting legacy. stuff. It. it shouldn't, but it's probably it's probably going to. He's only human the playing this awesome team, but uh, I don't know. Maybe tops cops another ring or two late in his career. Um, you know, has has another couple of spectacular playoff performances, even in losses. His mess, his 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 uh, his legacy and his legend is going to grow.
1: Getting into the elephant in the room that is Kevin Durant and has been really since the season started when he decided to leave Oklahoma City and join the team that defeated him in the Western Conference Finals, what were your thoughts when that originally happened and have they changed any as the season wore on up until now?
0: Uh, I was just bummed. Uh, A lot of people... I don't know if anybody's listening to know, but I'm I'm a huge Russell Westbrook supporter. He's my favorite player in NBA to watch. As a Celtics fan, it, you know it's a, it's a kind of strange uh, dichotomy, I guess. I'm a Celtics fan, you know, to the heart. But if I'm gonna watch a player play, I'm gonna watch Russell Westbrook. The way, the fire he plays with, the force, the passion, and the athleticism. The guy's gonna give you a, a you know, good to show every night. So um, I I followed him and Kevin Durant and the Thunder pretty closely. You know, I I won't tell the fan, but I I wanted them to do well. Ever since they made the finals, and they lost, and then they've been fascinating. They've been a fascinating team to watch. And so um, when they pushed Golden State to seven, you know, seven games, they're up 3-1, they end up losing, it sucks. But I was under the impression, you know, this guy's been there for nine, ten years. He's going to re-up. They just showed that they're contenders they going, you know, they, they made the move for Older Depot and now they got help on the wing. This this team can do things next year. So when I woke up and I read that, uh, you know, the Players Tribune article when he left, I was, I was bummed because not only did he weaken his own, you know, the way his, his original team OKC, they went to Denver, and obviously, you know, not even close. He wasn't going to a team that needed him in a way. He was he was basically piling on and you know, kind of being a front runner. So it's his right. I don't think he's like a coward or anything like that. I think he got tired of carrying the load. And maybe he got tired and think about his legacy. He wanted to make sure he got a ring or two in. So, you know, I, which it sucks that he that he cares so much what people think, I guess. But it is what it is, man. So I was bummed about it then. Um, and this this playoff run and these finals don't make me feel any different about it. It, it sucks. It's like uh, everyone else is at, having – you know, sword fights, and he comes in with a laser gun. He just, and, and, and the warriors come in with a laser gun of just blasting people down. It, it's, of course, it's fair, it's legal and fair, but it's not fun to watch from my point of view.
1: Do you think that the Thunder could have been successful, whether that was this season or maybe next season, if both Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook stayed? And they, in a way, almost just waited for another player to want to come play with them to form their own big three in Oklahoma City. We've seen that happen now with a handful of teams in the past several years where a couple players will say like, hey, why don't we go play with them? And we never really saw that develop, especially once James Harden left. It wasn't really his decision that he didn't want to play with them. Things just didn't work out. And that's still uh, an incredibly terrible thing. We never got to see, but it was almost like you were just hoping that somebody would say, Hey, maybe like a Paul George say, or a player along that caliber that would want to go play with them. That could contend with the warriors as they were with their big three, quote unquote, and LeBron James with whoever he had with him with Kyrie and Kevin love in that case, do you think they could have worked, though, with the dynamic between Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, or in a way, was this just something that inevitably had to happen for both of them?
0: Well, I think that uh, the Thunder were a victim of a right? Uh, of course, in hindsight, when you start off with Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, and a few short years later, you're left with just Russell Westbrook, something went wrong. I, I, I don't care. I know people say Pressy's a great, uh, you know, he drafts great. They've made all the textbook moves. Something went wrong when you go from, you know, four potential stars to one. Um, but they've been a victim of really bad luck, right? Because they made the finals. They traded Harden. Cool. Next year, Russell Westbrook got hurt in the first round. The year after that, um, Serge Sur- got hurt right before they played the Spurs, and they lost to the Spurs in the West Coast finals. The year after that is when KD got hurt, and so they missed the playoffs. And then the year after that, you know, they were healthy uh, and, um, yeah, they made the West Cup Finals again. And then from what I'm hearing, this year when, you know, when they went for KD, they had – and I'm not sure how true this is. I don't know if you heard this. They kind of had a verbal agreement with Al Horford. Hey, if Kevin Durant signs back here, we want you to sign here. And Al Horford was on board. Said, if you got Russell Westbrook and you got Kevin Durant and you already made a trade for uh, Big Old Depot, I'll sign here. And that's the word I'm hearing. They had, a, they had a framework all set up for Al Horford to come join. And, I mean, we just saw it. they pushed Golden State to seven games. They, we saw it. And adding something like Al Horford and Vic Del Depot, I think, and you know, another year of, of Kevin Durant, and, and like, Kevin showed he could be a defensive stopper that we didn't know he could do in the playoffs last year. Bringing that mentality this year for OKC, I definitely think they would have been another challenger for Golden State.
1: We've heard recently on social media, on sports radio, a lot of people are in a way blaming the Warriors for what's happened, for their success, for them not losing up until this point, heading into Cleveland for game three. Is it fair right. to blame them for happening to go out and get one of the best players, probably the second best player in the NBA, just because they did everything correctly before getting him and happened to draft a pretty successful team?
0: Well, again, just like you see in bad luck, the the uh, the Warriors actually had the best luck possible, right? Um, They drafted, you know, the the Minnesota Timberwolves were dumb enough to pass on Seth Curry not just once, but like two or three times, he and Johnny Flynn and Rubio, whatever. Uh, no other team picked Steph Curry. A lot of teams, you know, I think he went seven, right, that year. So teams passed on him. Um, then he had issues, right, which enticed him to take a well below market uh, value contract because they weren't sure how, you know, his his health guy kind of was up in the air. He wanted the long term stability. He took even in you know when he signed that contract back in 2013, I think or 12 extension, he took you know 12 million a year, which even at the time is was a pittance for what he turned into. Um, They really struck it they struck it rich with Klay Thompson and Draymond. Draymond went what second round, that's a big deal. Uh Uh, The player that they tanked for uh, Harrison Barnes was the worst one. Now here's how they really lucked out though: if Harrison Barnes had taken their extension offer before uh, 2016 season, I think they offered him four years, $66 or something like that. There's no way they get Kevin Durant because now he's under contract and OKC's not doing a, a sign and trade. So there was no way they would have got Kevin Durant. So there's probably a better chance he stayed. So, uh, you know, plus, don't forget the cap, cap exclusion, giving him all this money. So as, as bad luck as OKC had, the Warriors, not only did they draft well and manage the money well, they were extremely lucky. So it's not their fault, not at all. Um, now, one thing I will say it's really kind of disappointing is, uh, you know, the story came out that the Warriors were recruiting Kevin Durant all year long, sending him tags, "Hey, we need you here. Look how you fit here." Which, if you read the CBA, you the know, CBA, that's in direct violation of the tampering uh, rules. But it's one of those things. I guess you know, whatever. It doesn't matter now. Water right the bridge, um, and that's not that's kind of whack. You know, you win the seventy three games and you're recruiting a guy like that, that, that seems... And then, you know, you, you got in the middle of a seven-game series, and there's reports that Kevin Durant and Dre were hanging out during the series. To me, that's whack. That's that's kind of whack. But uh, it's it's not like they did anything illegal, I guess. So it just it just kind of... It feels like it's kind of cheapened what they're doing this year.
1: Did you think that there was anything that LeBron James or the Cleveland Cavaliers could have done in this regular season as far as bringing in players to combat this Warriors team. Not to say that LeBron makes the actual decisions, but I'm sure he has a hand in it. And they bring in Kyle Korver. They bring in Duron Williams. It seemed like they tried to match the three-point shooting possibilities of the Warriors, but they really didn't help themselves maybe on the defensive end or or with a big man who can really dominate in the post and at least give them another option both on the defensive end and on the offensive end? Was there anything that you see that Cleveland would have been able to do in this case since they showed themselves as the best team of the East when combating against uh, the Warriors, or, or is it really a losing battle at this point?
0: The only thing, hindsight 2020, 20, 20, uh, I think they. I think we saw that this season the Cavs had a quote-unquote elite offense. But, I mean, they're playing 29 other teams, and 28 other teams. Two times they played the Golden State Warriors. The other 28 times they played guys like the Hornets and, uh, you know, the Nets. They played the full league, which means it's easy to kind of beef your stats up when you got LeBron James and Kyrie and Kevin Love. It's easy to kind of beef your stats up because you're playing, obviously, lesser teams. Now they're playing the cream of the crop, and I think all the all the flaws are showing. Um, the Cavs are bad defensively this season. Right, and I think that was the big sticking point with a lot of people out there that were making the finals. What people got it wrong was that it's just too weak, and no matter what, the Cavs are making the finals. They could have walk. They could have sat Lebron James probably around and made the finals. They could have sat, you know, Kyrie the whole like the whole second round, and they've been fine and made the finals. And that's where it kind of sucks that Golden State and the Cavs are so much better than everybody else. So the Cavs were, you know, they were they really releasing the offensive this year, very bad defensively. And the Warriors is excluding them. the only thing they could have done differently in twenty twenty. Move Kevin Love for somebody more versatile and somebody who uh, who matches more the, the the ethos of the Warriors, right? The Warriors have push everything. They're long and athletic. And um, I know they just won a championship, so you don't really need to bring up a contender. But Kevin Love, uh, his value was pretty high coming into the season. Uh, I don't know. I got to call Millsap. Um, I'm trying try to think of somebody big and stretchy and athletic. Um, but they could have made another move and, and not have Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love who are a little bit redundant. Sure, Kevin can, can shoot the three, but he's poor defensively. Uh, Tristan's undersized, so They're kind of stuck in that no-man's land as far as they're kind of a traditional team, but shooters. So, yeah, they could have probably went all in and, and went stretchier and, and longer, and more athletic, and just went all the way with the bombing away from three. I don't know exactly who they could have done, but they could have done something.
1: It's an interesting feeling that I felt, and I'm sure many casual NBA fans have felt in these NBA finals, because even going back as far as the Michael Jordan days, we've had these teams that have just been great. We've had these players that have just been great, Hall of Fame players not super teams, but well above average teams, some of the better teams in the history of the league. And that's sort of been the trend for the past two or three decades. It's the same group of teams that end up doing well in the Lakers and the Spurs when LeBron went to Miami, when he came back from Cleveland. We know the usual suspects. But I think what was different about those times is that there were teams around that could find the crack in a specific team's armor and potentially take them down at some point where you never felt like they were completely dominant and completely above everyone else. Whereas this year, we really haven't found that crack. It was even hard to find before last year came, who's going to beat these warriors. But then we saw Cleveland do it. So you kind of came back down to earth, got more relieves, like, okay, they are beatable. If you're a team that's on the cusp, if you're a team, that's a player two away as a fan, you can have hope. I think the word that we're missing for a lot of people is hope for owners, for teams, for fans. If this team is able to stay together I don't really see how others can have much hope in taking them down unless something drastic happens, which of course you would hope would not as far as an injury goes or something along those lines. Just maybe looking ahead a little bit, since it seems like this series is going to be well out of hand, is this a team that can stay together for three, four, five years and put themselves in the conversation like people are trying to crown them now as the greatest team of all time, the greatest duo of all time with Durant and Curry? I mean, let's pump the brakes until somebody wins a couple championships first, but... Is it possible that they might be able to do that, or is this something that might last, say, as long as LeBron and Miami did or other teams we've seen as well?
0: Well, even if it, let's say they last as long as LeBron did, but they win the championship every year, right? So they win this year, and then they win next year, and they win the year. Because I think LeBron uh, was in Miami for four years. Yeah, four years. Uh, Bobby Marks, salary cap guy, uh, I don't know what team he's for. I, I think he's, just a brand, he's on Twitter. Bobby Marks. Uh, he actually said to keep the Warriors together for the next four years would cost with the salary and then the luxury tax, which is going to be heavy. He says it would cost $1.3 billion to keep them together for four years. I did
1: see that. So that's a very high number.
0: That's, uh, that's ridiculous. So the question would be, uh, is, is the, the Warriors ownership willing To shell out that kind of money to keep that core, and then you know you got to round the roster with you know vet minimum guys, and you got cap holes for rookies, all that stuff. So, if you're winning championships, are you willing to shell out two hundred and fifty plus million dollars a year to keep that going? That's where the question would come down to. Um, As far as the duo, I'm. I mean, look, there's one thing to say about legacy and doing it for years. Is nothing to, to see what we're see what we're seeing in the given moment and say, the guys I'm watching, where does their talent level and their their skill level right now fall upon the greats I've seen? And I think it's fair to say that Steph Curry, who just won the you know unanimous MVP, and Kevin Durant, who just MVP in 2014, both have got under 30. It's fair to say that we've never seen two MVP caliber players in their prime at the top of their games on the same right? Dwayne Wade was over the hill. Um, when he got to, he, he got, when, when LeBron came to Miami, um, and I, you're right, I'm, I'm being a little disingenuous because Kobe and Shaq were, their ages were different, but they were both still in their MVP. Well, Shaq was in his MVP prime and then Kobe hit his prime later. Right. So they weren't quite, they weren't, in the, they weren't matched up. Uh, Scotty and Mike, I guess you could say they're MVP quality, but at the time, Scotty playing with Mike suppressed his, uh, kind of, I guess his all around game and, he wouldn't seen as an MVP type player playing besides Michael Jordan. So uh, this this is something wholly unique. Uh, then you got you know Dre is the best power forward in the league. Uh, Clay is the top two or three shooting guard in the league. This collection of talent is something we've never quite seen before relative to the players around you know other players in the league. Yeah, man, it's like you said. Usually we have MJ with pushes seven games. Uh, Shaq and Kobe with seven games with you know multiple times. There were chances of them losing, right? We remember Kobe throwing the alley to Shaq to win that series against the Blazers because they were down. You know, that was, a, that was a big thing. Got your heart pumping. These warmly don't make you feel that way. It's almost just a feeling of dread because you're like, they're going to win again. They're going to win again. Then they pushed all playoffs. So it, the league has never been in a spot like this where one team was not just better. Sure, the Bulls were better. The Lakers at the time were better with uh, Magic. The Lakers with Kobe, Shaq were better. But they were still mortal. It looks great, but they still had Achilles heel. They had Knights. This Warriors team is something else that we've never seen before. And um, I'll never stop, and I'll never stop loving the NBA. I, I love I- – I'm a junkie. But I can see how people might start tuning out sooner or later. But I just heard today that the finals, like, had one of the best, you know, the ratings of the highest since, like, 2002 or something. Right. So what do, what do we know? What do we know? Maybe we're just being – like, you know, we're being crotchety old men.
1: It's been amazing to see that the Warriors went from this beloved underdog in a way against LeBron part one to last year being almost hated, a complete role reversal for people rooting for LeBron with his underdog team, if you will, to take down the Warriors. And now this year, the Warriors are again back to that villainous team, even though they really don't have villains. You know, they're not bad players. People don't really necessarily like Draymond for his antics or what he may do on and off the floor, but they don't really play like the bad boy Pistons used to play or those teams in the 80s or 90s where they were literally villains on the court yelling ball don't lie, Rasheed Wallace, Kevin Garnett, one of the last villains of our generation coming up through the NBA. They're really not doing anything terrible, but it's almost hard to root for this team. It's almost like the Yankees used to be in baseball. and. Maybe people still think they are. Maybe even now the Cubs, you know, they went out and bought all these players. They developed this team, and everybody just hates them, like the Patriots. They hate them. They get all the good players. That's what the Warriors turned into, and you don't usually see that with just five players that get to start in the NBA.
0: Well, you know what it is? Uh, it, you know, I call them Cobra Kai. Anybody who remembers the, the movie called, uh, Karate Kid, the, the like the rich, upper-class, snooty kids, all, you know, they fought for Cobra Kai, the dojo. And they're all kind of jerks, and you know, I kind—they kind of remind me of uh, Eddie Haskell too from The Old Leave It to Beaver, because you're right. There's no real villain. Dre is the closest thing they have to a villain, right? Dre'll snarl and Dre'll bark, and he'll he'll get into it with other other teams' guys. But for the most part, they're like a team of kind of a Boy Scouts. Um, but then they do little things like Steph Curry and his uh, his antics sometimes. You know, when they're up thirty, and they he'll rub into the he'll rub into the face of of his opponents. Um, you know, uh, Clay and his comments about, you know, oh, I guess LeBron got his feelings hurt. This is a man's league. Those kind of things, you know, then LeBron turned around and eviscerated him. But, um so, it's been fascinating to go from a field destroyer under Mark Jackson. Then that first year, it was a thrill. Because, like you said, again, it was competitive. They were, even though they were winning big, it was and Steph Curry was doing amazing things, but it was still brand new and they were competing. Uh, you know, they almost say, hey, they went down with a, to Memphis, or was 1-1 against Memphis that first year than the one. And to to the point now, though, it's almost like bullying. And I think you know their antics have grown tired among non-Golden State fans. So while they're not quite villains, people do definitely pull against them. And then to to not only make you made fun of OKC because OKC blew a three-one lead, you turn around and blow a a three-one lead of your own. And then you sign Kevin Durant. So that's like you know the rich getting richer. And so, uh, yeah, they're definitely the team to root against uh, for, for the other 29 teams in the league. And it's even more frustrating, though, because not only do they talk the good game, they back it up, and no one's going to be able to beat them in the, in the foreseeable future. So it's a really strange place the league's in, man. I'm really interested to see how things go over the next couple of years.
1: The last one for this short-term If there's any big-name free agents, players that want to move around, start their own teams, if you will, and go play with their friends or people they think they'll be more successful with, is the new trend, maybe for the foreseeable future, four or five years, going to be try to take down the Warriors in the West or go to the East and try to take down LeBron?
0: And here's the thing, right? We just talked about how lucky the Warriors got. There's no way for anyone else to replicate it unless some guys are willing to take huge pay cuts, right? Because, I mean, hell, Steph Curry, this season's only making $12 million a year. You know, Dre and, and, and Clay are making, like, you know, 150% of what he's making. So that, it's a very unique situation. And the cap is not going to keep rising. The cap space is going to be gone here soon. Um, I was just thinking today, though, let's think about it. The Minnesota Timberwolves have uh, Carlton Towns, who's I think we all agree is going to be a future star or he's, he's, he's on the cusp of superstardom. Carlin Towns can do it all. Andrew Wiggins is an athletic, long, explosive kind of scorer who has a lot of potential still. He's still only, I think, 22, 20, you know, 22, maybe t- turning 23 this year. Zach Levine has shown he can be an explosive, uh, almost like a hybrid between, I don't know, Jamal Crawford and Russell Westbrook, super athletic, and he, he can shoot the three now. They are on their rookie deals, right? So a team like the Timberwolves could, do their best to add somebody via trade, find a guy who wants to get traded, and absorb some contract, you know, absorb a bad contract. If a guy, if the Timberwolves can get a, another guy, a Paul Butler, uh, Paul George, or Jimmy Butler, they're going to be in the mix to, to be dangerous. I'm not saying they're going to be the Warriors, but they can definitely be up there and, and challenge maybe the Cavs a little bit. Um, so, I just don't see how it's going to happen though, because so much has to happen right the Warriors to do it, and the Warriors have the second and third best players in the league. You know, and so after that, what what are we gonna do? Uh, Chris Paul with Kawhi Leonard, that's good. That's really good. That's not a challenge in the Warriors, I don't think. You know, so uh, let's pop has a magic of his sleeve. It's really hard to see, man. It's really hard to see where the challenge is gonna come from. And like, it's do you have to just get out the Warriors and hope that Clay gets frustrated and, and wants to get moved to his own team? And even then, you got Dre Cur- you got Drake Curry and KD. I guess what, what do you think? I'm gonna turn around to you. What what's the perfect team? What team could we make that could challenge these Warriors?
1: Well, it's almost been a joke amongst players and fans, where the original joke was some of the lesser teams that have young talent just have to wait for LeBron James to retire, right, and get him out of the league completely until they could start adding those big free agent pieces that they could bring them together. Now it's sure. you have to wait for that to happen. And now we have to wait for this Warriors team to get dismantled. And even as you mentioned, if Clay were to leave, he's not even necessarily in the one, two, or three of that top four. So is it really going to hurt them that much? It's almost like you're better to just, if you're a young team, wait a little bit and just build toward maybe the three or four year mark see what you have now, see what you think you can get rid of for younger pieces, because the names that are getting thrown around and will get thrown around in the next free agency and the one coming after that, Paul George is a great player. We know that. Russell Westbrook, if he decides to leave, is a superstar player. But unless they all go to, say, the Spurs with... Leonard and whoever sticks around if Tony Parker and Ginobili decide to keep playing, you almost have to have at least two go with a one to make anything come of making a team that can match either the Cavaliers or the Warriors because they've set themselves up like this now. It's just difficult to even contend on what you could do to beat them. Even if you have a deep bench, They don't even necessarily need a deep bench. We saw that with the Warriors. That was the big fear. If they don't re-sign the people from their bench that was so successful when they won their first NBA championship, they went out and got Durant, got rid of everybody else, they won't have a bench, it hasn't mattered. Honestly, it feels like they could just put out those four guys and Steve Kerr can still stay in the locker room and they're still going to beat you. That's how good that they've been. So it's, it's almost like, unfortunately, just wait it out for the next couple of years and hope that something changes in the interim while you still try to get a little bit better.
0: And that's it, man. That's it. I don't want to say just wait it out because um, I think the big thing about this discussion is teams shouldn't give up. You still want to like, look kind of like Boston. Boston's a very unique situation because of those picks, obviously. But I think and look at a team like the Wizards, right? You still build the best team you can. You still try to win as many games as you can. You just, I guess you kind of just, you you hope you get a break, right? Knock on wood, you hope that, you know, LeBron James uh, comes down with the flu and has to miss a series. You hope that, um, you know, Kyrie's his back locks up, and it's not cool for anything, but he has to miss a series or he's not 100%. You just have to just bide your time. So you're right, you're biding your time. You still best you build the best team you can. You, you you know, you give your fan base something to cheer for. Look at the Memphis Grizzlies. The Memphis Grizzlies were never true contenders, right? I don't think they were. They were very good and you know, if you talk to them and their fans they'll say, "Oh, we could have beat the Spurs this year and blah well, uh, I don't know. I never thought they were contenders, but the grit and grind is going to live on forever in Memphis, right? They they've established themselves and they've made themselves cult heroes and they're respected throughout the league and that's good. You can be a professional and the Celtics is another good example. I think in the next couple of years, they're going to have young players mixed with old players. They're going to have guys that have stats and receipts coming over. They're going to be deep. They can win a lot of ball games, and they can probably go deep in the playoffs, and they'll probably be in the East Conference Finals again. They'll probably might lose again to Cleveland because LeBron is that amazing. There's no there's no shame in that. There's no shame in being a very good team. And LeBron, they going to be here forever. Golden thing will be here forever. So it sounds almost uh, like you said. It sounds like we're losing hope. But I mean, uh, somebody, else, somebody wrote a, a good article for Beyond Breakdown. I think it's name is Brady Crop I'll I'll, I'll tweet you the link. Where basically what he's saying is the evolution of the Warriors is going to just make other teams step their game up. Something's going to come next. Nothing. We're never stagnant in the NBA. So, be it another super team, be it another superstar come up, be it a scheme that comes up to defend the Warriors. Something's going to happen in the next year or two, and the league's going to be better for it. You know, so. Just uh, don't lose faith, man. Don't lose faith.
1: Just a couple years of growing pains, if you will, that NBA fans might have to deal with. So this show comes out before Game Three, just to get your prediction. I'm going to say that what you said on Twitter still stands true. Four or five games were most likely looking like the Warriors will hoist up the NBA Finals trophy. Yeah.
0: So my original, uh, my original guess, my original proclamation was Warriors and six. The way these first two games have gone down, yeah, I said that, you know, if it goes more than five games, I'll be shocked. So war, I say war than four or five. Now, game three is a pivot game, man. This is important. The Cavs will be back home. They'll get an emotional charge. We all know that uh, for role players a lot of times, they, they, their game doesn't travel, right? So but the comforts of home, we should see like a, a, a rejuvenated J.R. Smith. We should see uh, Tristan Thompson been embarrassed first two games. He can bring it. Uh, LeBron James has been embarrassed in several games. We know when he's embarrassed, he plays – he killed come with the edge. We saw him in Boston that game six in Boston back in 2000, 2012. This is the game, I think, if Cleveland's going to really – not think, I know. it. If Cleveland's going to get back like, in this series, they got to win game three. And their only chance is for Kyrie and Love to come out uh, and LeBron to come out smoking in the first quarter. they got to bum-rush the Warriors. they got to be physical and bum-rush them and, and try to get a big size of a lead in the first half and make the Warriors play from behind. So, um my, I'm gonna I'm gonna step out of the box. I am gonna give LeBron James a prop, man. Hey, LeBron James. And I don't think they're gonna win the series, but I think I'm gonna give them this game three. Now, my caveat is if they do lose it, I'm not shocked because the Warriors keep surprising me and, and the Warriors keep showing us this you know, new level they can reach. Um, but I, I'm gonna give LeBron his his uh, respect and think that they're gonna they're gonna defend the home court for at least one game.
1: The last one for you. I know this is coming in a couple of weeks, but are you excited for what will be the debut of Ice Cube's Big Three?
0: <laughs> um, you know what, man? I know they don't like gimmicky stuff like that. I, I don't dislike it, but you know it's something that's gonna be fun. I'll definitely tune in and watch. Uh the biggest thing is, I'm excited about though is that, you know, it is giving some of the heroes and the, the guys we grew up watching another run. So it's gonna be kinda of bittersweet, right? Because I think we're gonna see some, some fun basketball and get a little nostalgia. You know, and we're gonna see the other Catino Mobile who has the salt and pepper beard. So it kinda takes you back at the same time it shows you that, you know, Father Time's undefeated. So yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. It's something good. I'm glad that they came up with this and it's it'll be a lot of fun. And it's I think it'll introduce a lot of the the, like the, the modern fans, the younger guys, from, you know, 20 and under, 20 and under, they get to see players, they you know, and, and maybe hear stories and, and get a connection to the players of the 90s, as like we talked about earlier, that they, they otherwise wouldn't get to see. So that's pretty cool.
1: We're probably going to grimace some because of Father Time, as you mentioned, but I'm predicting that the trash talk we're going to get to hear, potentially uncensored, or even if it is, we'll know what they're saying, is going to be amazing. Something that we'll never get to experience.
0: I don't know if you've seen it, man, but there's already a clip of Kenyon Martin uh, trash talking. Oh, uh, I did.
1: He's he's going to be one of the main ones that's going to start it up.
0: <laughs> so yeah, man, it's uh it's dope. It's it's going to be fun. It's going to be something. It's going to be a good summer distraction. I'll say that you know because we have a lot of downtime between between uh, you know, the end of the season and, and actual basketball again. So it'll be a nice little um, distraction.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you what, that might be where our excitement ends up coming from when it comes to June basketball. And at this point, I'll take that. If that's an exciting thing, something new that can at least pique our interest, maybe forget about a potential four-game sweep, a 16-0 and playoff appearance, I'll take it. At least we could go to bed at night and think, yeah, it used to be a lot more fun than this. You <laughs> know, we'll at least have you know, that.
0: I'll say, I'll say this. Um, you are saying that you're you hoping that you know the Warriors get? I mean, the Cavs get a couple games out of it. I'm either hoping for a Warriors sweep and they go 16 zero, or I'm hoping that the Cavs come back and win it, which is I know is very slim to none chance. But I want to see history either way. Like if the Cavs just come back and win one or two, and then they end up losing, you know, six games, that's kind of whack to me. Both sides, you know, whatever. So um, I'm pulling for either a Warriors sweep or the Cavs do a full, you know, reverse the feeling comeback. That's all. Either one. That's all I want to see.
1: Well, James, thanks so much for dropping by to talk some hoops. It was a pleasure getting to know about some of the things you're up to riding wise and what you're doing on the side. Your 15 seconds of fame on NBA Twitter, which was a glorious Christmas day. If we look back at some of the time-ups for that, I'm sure people will enjoy. But just getting to talk about what's going on with these playoffs, some discussion to make things a little bit more fun. And like I said, hopefully we'll at least get a couple – exciting games that might go down to the wire and give us something that we can grasp and get a hold of to really enjoy these playoffs that haven't really been that exciting up until now, but it it was a pleasure getting to know what you're up to and talk some hoops and hopefully we can do it again down the road.
0: Hey man, anytime, man. I would thank you for having me on. And uh, yeah, I would be happy to be honored to come back on anytime, but hold on. You didn't give me your prediction for game three.
1: I really, really, really want to go with LeBron James. Even the stats are pointing his way when he's been down 0-2, and we saw it as soon as last year he was down 0-2. They even lost by more points in those two games. But honestly, I think the Warriors are not going to take Cleveland necessarily for granted that they might have last year. Not to say that they were cocky, but I think – they're going to have a mindset now, especially with Durant there, this being his first go around that they're going to go for the throat tomorrow. And I think, I don't think they're going to blow them out, but I think they're going to pull out a game three win and it's going to be a quick curtains. I, I don't think that they're going to let what happened to them last year happen again, which is unfortunate. If this was the first year of this big four, if you will, maybe they would have a letdown game, but because of what the three of them went through last year, what Durant went through losing a three one series to his now teammates, I think they're gonna come ready to play. I, I really do, and I think they're gonna take game three, unfortunately, for us.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, man. Hey man, all we get hope is that these young stars turn to superstars and somebody can be thrown these guys. But it'll be fun watching. It's all about the journey sometimes. Not about the end, it's about the journey. Thanks for having me on again, brother. And, and looking forward to having, looking forward to talking to you about the hoops again.
1: That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Friday night. And also be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can also find episodes of The Bridge on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America on Wednesday nights. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll get back into the NBA Finals, dive into some more Major League Baseball, circle the wagons of the National Football League, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve, on The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.